This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. We are going to be having a presentation done by Mr. John Burns from johnburnsrealestateconsulting.com. John gave a great presentation to a mastermind that I'm personally in, Collective Genius. And I thought it really great for a lot of us viewers to go through the same presentation, but tailor it a little bit for our group, individual investors, syndication investors, and some of us with still some single family homes in the portfolio are trying to get into that. But thanks for joining us, John, and I appreciate taking us through this. going to be a lot of insights through, through this deck. Yeah, we collect a lot of data, that's for sure. A lot of you guys like my monthly reports. You guys can get access to that at fullpassacashflow.com slash investor letter. But from time to time, I'll take a thing from John Burns, like their U-Haul report that always comes from them. A little bit on my business then to start. Uh, we've got 70 people all over the country, nobody in Hawaii, but we do a little bit of work there. And we focus on big companies who... Believe it or not, even the biggest companies in the industry don't have big research departments to figure out what's going on in the housing market, a lot of them. So they outsource that to us. So we've got 70 people trying to figure out what's going on in the housing market, a subscription research product, and then also individual consulting. And one of the things I'm trying to get closer to, and you guys can help me with a fair trade here, is I'll share all this information with you. But I want to really understand what's going on at the individual investor level. And since they're not clients of ours and you're not, we do a survey of investors and a couple questions once a quarter, just got to email me or Devin Bachman and I will we'll send you the content plus some of your local market research that you'll find interesting. And her email is dbachman, B-A-C-H-M-A-N at realestateconsulting.com. So, so we'll, put, we'll put this all in the YouTube channel, show notes, and then the, the webpage for this. But yeah, this, I mean, this is what makes this data so great is John actually goes and gets this from folks like ourselves instead of, and, and they bring it to the institutions out there. So this is great data, but he needs some help here from the foot soldiers like us to see what's yeah. actually happening out there. Yeah. Data includes just comments like, John, you're totally wrong. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing that. I learn more from my clients stuff they're seeing in the field than actual from data. So I, I'm going to bring back a couple slides from a presentation I did in April, just to compare and contrast with where we are today. And then I think this has been totally underplayed, even though everybody knows it, the government stimulus was just massive. And if it was $500 billion, it would have helped. It was a couple trillion dollars. It more than helped. And it really was a government-induced housing boom that we're in the middle of. And then we do, one of the surveys we do is we survey people that own single-family rental homes, so you can participate in that. We surveyed the landlords that own 175,000 homes. I'll share you, with you what's going on there. It is one of the reasons that uh, so much capital is pivoting into single-family rental homes right now is our thesis was it was a pretty stable, uh, recession-proof is too strong, but doesn't cycle as hard as real estate normally does in a recession. And, and man, is that definitely playing out right now. So it, we call it the safe and stable investment, if you will, single-family rentals. Uh, I know it's getting a little more challenging because prices are going up faster than rents, though. Then I'll talk, I'll share with you some of the public data on how the new public companies are doing. Just I'll give you some metrics with that. Do a quick regional overview and then a wrap up with some risks and rewards. So 
back in April, we actually started this in March. We started weekly webinars for our clients. We do them monthly now, the Thursday, in fact, tomorrow. We started calling it a global reset in March. And, and here are the slides that it was more than a reset. It was a complete rocket taking off. So what one of our clients is Oak Tree Capital. They manage 130 billion assets under management. Howard Marks is one of the most brilliant people out there. If you can pick up some of his investing books, I would highly recommend it. But here's what he was saying in April. Just back up. This is one of the greatest pandemics in, in history, the greatest economic contraction in 90 years, the greatest oil price decline practically ever. But this was the key, the, the, the greatest central bank and government intervention of all time. So if you study the economics and demand and supply, what the government does is not in response to demand and supply. It's just massive stimulus. And he called this one when he was on the sidelines for a while. And this has been the big boost to housing. So as far as the vaccine was concerned, we turned to Bill Gates, who'd been studying this heavily. He said 10 weeks of extreme lockdown, and then we'll open up in May or June. You got that. He said probably 18 months to vaccine, which seemed optimistic at the time, but actually there looks like we're beating his forecast. So that's pretty good. And he got this one wrong. And he really just mentioned quickly, he didn't think it'd be a while until housing recovered, but he wasn't focused on what Howard Marks was focused on, which is uh, what the government was going to do to intervene. And the intervention, even though it's been much more significant than the early 2000s, if you study housing cycles, it reminds me of the early 2000s when housing was 10 to 12 years after the great SNL crisis that had wiped out all the capital to housing. This felt very much the same. And then we have a recession and, and Greenspan at the time dropped the Fed funds rate 550 basis points, 5.5%, and housing was in great shape and housing led the recovery. And in a, in a bit of a different way, I think the exact same thing is going on right now. So the other slide that we showed was that there were really three arms of the federal government coming to the rescue. All of our elected officials, all of the appointed officials overseeing the mortgage industry, which you remember at the time was in a complete upheaval, and the Fed. So let's talk about what they did, the government-induced housing bill. So this is a timeline, and I'm going to show you about where we are right now, although we're getting a little bit toward the end of Q4 here, but $670 billion in PPP loans. They throw around these billions of dollars of numbers, and, and if it was $100 billion or $670 billion, most people don't know the difference. But this was all of the payroll and all of the rent for two months for all small businesses in America. Now, that wasn't enough for a retail or a restaurant in New York, but it was a hell of a lot for a lot of other businesses that were struggling a bit, but they were covering almost all of their expenses. And I'm in a CEO group where more than two thirds of the CEOs, we just pulled them, their balance sheets are stronger today than they were back in February. JP Morgan Chase and others have released some data that consumers' checking account balances, now not everybody, but on average are higher than they were in February. This is just a lot of cash. This is the $290 billion stimulus check. They're talking about doing another one. You got 26 weeks of unemployment that got extended to 39. Hey, we're going to put $600 more per week into everybody's unemployment check. That is more than enough to pay the rent. And then when that expired, through executive order, there was another $300 and that's getting ready to expire. So the government has been paying for people's expenses here. Student loans, hey, don't worry about them. You don't have to pay it. Mortgage, you don't even have to prove that you're in distress. Just uh, you can stop paying if you want to. 
15%, 16% of FHA mortgages, which are the mortgages to the uh, people that are putting the least amount down and have the lowest credit scores are delinquent right now. Some of those people have their job. They're just not paying it. And the government has said, we're not going to foreclose on you. We're going to restructure your loan. So if you miss those payments and you've got a job and you can start paying again, we're just going to tack all the missed payments onto the end. I'm sure there will be foreclosures that come out of this, but it won't be anything like the last time. And then I don't know where the Center for Disease Control thinks that they've got the power to tell people to stop paying rent, but, but they did. Interestingly, though, at least among my clientele uh, and some of whom have pulled their clients who are definitely out of work, they're still making their rent payments because they know what it's like to have to rent a new place when you got kicked out of the last place for not paying rent. It's pretty hard to rent a new place. So people are still paying their rent. So this has been like the U.S. government took a helicopter and flew over all of America and just spread cash all over it. The the consumer financial obligation ratio, which is people's debt in relation to income, is down. The actual balances of consumer debt, now mortgages are trending up because mortgages are doing great, but everything else is 10. People are paying down their debt. The rent collections, as I mentioned, have been pretty darn high. In December, they were pretty bad, but this is through the 6th of the month and the 5th and 6th were the weekend, so I'm expecting it to get a a little bit better. But if I told you that, hey, we were going to have 30% of America lose their job in March and everybody would still pay their rent, you'd say that was crazy. But that is what's going on because they were given the money to do. And this has been what people call a K-shaped recovery, which I like to distinguish it, sadly, between the haves who are at the top of the K and the have-nots who are at the bottom of the K. And if you're at the top of the K, if, if you had some assets going into this, your stock is up, your home prices are up, your retirement savings are up, if you're employed in an industry that's doing okay, you're fine. The have-nots were people that were really in an industry that was paying people minimum wage or close to minimum wage that also involved group gatherings. So that all the headlines have been there. There has been a lot of distress there. But what we've seen for housing is that's not the majority of America. It's part of America and it, and it hurts, but a good chunk of America is doing fine. If you've been following my journey, I've been selling my initial real property and transitioning into syndication deals lately for a more purely passive investment strategy. One critical part of my portfolio is the American Home Preservation Fund, or what folks in the Hui call AHP for short. George Newberry, once apartment owner, operator, and mentor to me, is now sponsoring the podcast. His private fund, which by the way also accepts non-accredited investors, cuts the middlemen out and allows you to invest directly with him to fight the mortgage crisis in America. Join him by purchasing distressed mortgages while getting a double-digit annual return paid monthly. Find something else better out there? Well, let me know. Feel good knowing that you are helping families stay in their home after buying their underwater note at a huge discount. Invest as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. I guess, John, like you said it in the last presentation that I jotted down as a note here, not to be tone deaf or anything like that, if you go back to your last slide, but I think a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast and investing, they have very stable white-collar jobs. And it's the people that are more in the travel entertainment 
industry, food service industries, which were typically the ones struggling out of work, but there's a lot of people, I don't know what percentage of people out there that are doing just fine and they're paying down debt. They have quite a bit of money on the sidelines. And if you notice of the things that we can't do, like we can't go to sporting events, we can't travel. And there's a lot of white collar professionals out there just itching to spend the buck. Yeah. When people are widely vaccinated here, I think in fact, I was just telling my wife, we're going to book a hotel in New York for the month of October now because it's really cheap. I think things are going to get really busy. People are dying to get out. And the other part of this that I didn't really talk about is that the government took away your ability to spend a lot of your money. You can't go on vacation. You can't go out to nice restaurants. So people have been saving. So on, on top of the, here's some cash, you, it forced people to save more. I think there's a lot of potential at the end of this year for the economy to be on rocket fuel if all these vaccines happen like it seems. I, I think so myself. I think it's going to be a big party come late next year, especially yeah. for those who have money. Just for scale, like the 2008, a lot of money got dumped into the system. Is it more or less or what kind of order of magnitude are we talking about? Yeah, it's, I think I have a slide coming in that coming up, but it's, uh, it's $3 trillion dollars. And in 2008 through 2014, it took Bernanke six years to spend that $3 trillion. Jay Powell did it this time in five months. Same amount in five months. I mean, we borrowed the playbook and said, why let it play out over time? And, and we may get some more here, too. I, I think I have a slide on that. But the other thing he's doing this time, which Bernanke did start doing last time, the, the Fed controls the short end of the curve, how much the bank borrowing rate is uh, overnight. But he said, I'm going to control the long end of the curve, but I'm going to actually be the purchaser of 10-year treasuries and be the purchaser of mortgage-backed securities. And that extra demand from me is going to drive mortgage rates down. So that mortgage rates are below 3%. It's not because of the free market, although the, the part of that is the, the Fed is intervening. And it said, we're going to be intervening for the foreseeable future. Even if we see some above normal inflation here, we want to see that. So here's the chart you were alluding to, where the Fed back in 2008 had an $800 billion balance sheet. Then it started buying mortgages and 10-year treasuries and grew to $4 trillion. And then in just this year, it's grown to $7 trillion. It's just treasuries printing money and the, and the Fed is buying it. And I'm not smart enough to predict interest rates, but you can go into the bond market and see what the bond market is forecasting. And they're forecasting that the 10-year treasury rate stays relatively flat over the next four years. Mortgage rates usually trade as a premium over that because a typical pool of a 1,000 mortgages pays off over 10 years because somebody refis after two, but somebody else uh, takes 30. So they trade off the 10-year, and the bond market is saying rates should be flat. So I'm saying I'm not smarter than the bond market. I'm assuming rates are going to be flat. If the bond market is wrong, that can change the game here dramatically. So just wrapping this section up, the government lifelines have just been unbelievable. They've helped businesses uh, keep people employed. They've helped consumers pay down debt, pay their rent, pay their mortgage, avoid paying student debt. A lot of my home builder clients are saying that their clients have got the down payment now because it only requires 5% through FHA due to some of these savings. And then the artificially low rates have boosted home prices and sales volume. So housing is just booming. If you turn to housing investment, being a landlord, so here's our survey where we got 192 people to fill this out who oversee 175,000 properties. 
we got it at the local level too in 55 metro areas. I didn't just go to the big boys and say, give me your numbers on average. We have this by market and we do share, I'm only sharing part of it here, but we do share all the detail with people that participate. It's a 50 page report for a couple of questions. And I am putting here on the slide, the email again of D Bachman, B-A-C-H-M-A-N at realestateconsulting.com. So here's what they said. So 32% of new tenants are coming from apartments. It's a different demographic, as your clients know. I find that the Wall Street types who all own their home or a young smart kid in New York who grew up in an owned home doesn't understand single-family rentals. And I'm trying to educate them. Those of you that are raising capital probably understand this too. People, Why aren't people buying homes? There's just there's a lot of people who are just, I live in a single family rental home because that's uh, what I, I want, a garage, a laundry, I want a yard, uh, it's those folks. And then 59% of their tenants are coming from an urban location. Now we weren't able to say, okay, was that downtown Los Angeles or the San Fernando Valley? So I, I think urban areas is the right way to look at it. Median rent is $1,753 per month. That's within a dollar of what the big professional landlords are saying. And rent growth, which was still growing, but at a lower rate during the first and second quarter, is climbing back up. And what we're learning, I think I show this later, is that landlords, by and large, are not raising the rents very much on tenants that are renewing. But the demand is so strong that when your unit goes vacant, you're able to release it at a lot higher rent. So there's a tale of two stories in here. There's also people wanting to avoid headline risk, particularly the institutional companies are being known for jacking rents during a, a pandemic. They don't want that. And 60% of them are now telling us that leasing activity is strong or very strong. But here we are at the end of the fourth quarter saying leasing activity is great. And going forward, I expect it to be great too. So that gives me a good eye into what the demand is like out there. Only 11% say they've got lower occupancy than a year ago. They're at 97% occupied. So if you own 100 units and 97% of them are full, you're in pretty damn good shape. And that's the recipe for a business that needs some more supply. And we are seeing more supply come on the market now, actually with newly built rental homes, really in, in a mass way for the first time ever. So let's look at the, the cycle of- I could make a few comments. I think you hit it right on the head there, John. Like I'm coming from the apartment world and you had that slide there where you had people moving out of apartments into homes. Definitely saw that in one of our apartments that's more on the B plus, A minus fringe where it's a clientele that is very good with their money. Let's call it that. And they, when they saw rates drop under 3%, we had a lot of people move out because they were buying houses to live in. That has come and gone over a few months that we had to get through that struggle where it went from 90 something percent down into like the 80s, which that was an interesting phenomenon and you, and you hit it right on the head. And then the demand is definitely coming back overall, but we are still doing concessions because it's weird. We don't know what to really think with this the CDC, but I do think the data is definitely skewed, right? It, it, it clumps in there all the Bay Area, blue markets, difficult landlord laws areas. And then there are some areas that are undesirable that suffer because of this. Yeah. And if your tenant base is people who can work from home, we've actually seen people move further out to get cheaper rent 
And then there also is, they happen to have a neighbor who's a bit noisy and interrupting their Zoom calls, they're gone. I, I think that'll all come back, if you will, but I, we have some pretty good data and, and a lot of confidence because I'm allowing my employees to do it, more of them to continue working from home in perpetuity. Some privacy and some quiet is more important in an apartment situation than ever before. So it can come down to the building and even who's in the building. So here's uh, some data from our big single family rental report that we publish regularly. So we do have a dashboard where we can slice and dice all the data on rents and job growth and home prices. And one thing I wanted to point out here is actually during this pandemic, we've seen the gross yield in, in places like Atlanta actually tick up where rents have been growing. So 8.1% gross yield versus 79 a few months ago. But let's compare today to a year ago and just I'll call a massive shift here. So a year ago, incomes were growing, say, two and a half, three percent Home prices were growing four, so they're growing a little bit faster, but rates were falling. Payments weren't growing faster than incomes. Single-family rents were growing a little bit better than incomes. And apartment rents were growing a little better than incomes. But basically, you had a stable environment where three to four percent payment or rent growth. That's a, that's a market where demand's exceeding supply, but just a little bit. And there's a lot of people running around saying we need millions of more homes built and we're undersupplied. To the extent, I, I think they're overstating that, but to the extent it's true, rents and prices have already adjusted. And I think it's important to remember that. But look at what we've got going on right now. Home prices are up 10% year over year. We think they're going to end the year up 11%. Single family rent's pretty much the same, about 4% single family rent growth. And on average, apartment rents down because of some of the concessions you're talking about. But you want to pick the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, it's down 30% plus in San Francisco. It's up in Sacramento. So that's a good example of people moving somewhere else uh, to pay a heck of a lot less in rent. And here's a good example of what you were illustrating. There's a publicly traded company out of Toronto that owns a lot of rentals in the United States. They own 22,000 single family rental homes in 8,000 apartments. They're called Tricon. They just reported their quarter. It was a phenomenal quarter where net income was up 74%. But since it was the exact same company, I thought I could compare and contrast their single family rental portfolio with their apartment portfolio. So their apartment portfolio, the occupancy was down 2.4% to 92.8. The bad debt was up to 2.5% and rents were down too. Their single family rental portfolio occupancy was up to 97 and a half. Bad debt in, in a pandemic, the bad debt was down and uh, rent growth was a very strong 5.2%. And when you drill down to that 5.2%, it was 2.4% on renewals and 12.6% on new leases. They were able to increase the rent. And, and this is the reason why uh, this is some Census Bureau data. It's the best data out there. It's not perfect but they're showing 95% occupancy, which is the highest occupancy in 25 years. And so that's where we sit right now is very high occupancy on single family rental. One of the other big differences between apartments though is we've been, we are at a 40 year high of apartment construction. So when demand slows and you dump in all these brand new, beautiful vacant homes, that creates a lot of incentive where we have not been building rental houses like that. So rental housing is not having to deal with all these brand new, beautiful rental homes coming onto the market. There's no competition. And, and that's historically why this has been a more stable investment. 
and comparing the apartment tenant versus the single family rental tenant, the real amenities they want, I get this question with our developer clients a lot, what amenities do they want? Single family rent just wants things I can't have in an apartment complex, like laundry in my unit, more privacy, a garage, more square footage, place for my pet, a tiny yard for a barbecue and, and the pet. Those are the amenities. Skip over this. And we have this data in 63 markets around the country, and probably the easiest way to say it is that the rent growth is the least along the California coasts and in the Northeast, and it's the most in the South and the Southwest, where these population growth we were seeing to those areas has just accelerated even more right now. There's been a lot of headlines of big companies leaving California just in the last month. So the big guys, here's how they're doing. So there's 80,000 homes, invitation homes. They've got the most expensive rents too because they focused on what they call supply-constrained submarkets, places where you'd never see a lot of construction because there's homes everywhere. So they're in, if, they're in the A locations, if you will. American homes are rent right behind them at 50,000 homes with slightly lower rents around 1750. Both of them are clients of mine, and both of them say the average income on their tenant is a, is a dual-income household that makes more than $100,000 a year. And there's a privately held company called Progress that just bought a public company called Front Yard, and they're, they're going to be the same size as American Homes for Rent, but with an older, less of a great location property, if you will. And these guys all need to grow. So this is one of the reasons why I want to pull you and your clients is I think an underreported factor, I think your listeners probably get it, but most people don't, is all the investment activity that we're seeing in the housing market and investors competing for homes. Not, we talk about mortgage rates and consumers, but that's not helping invitation homes who needs to grow. That's not helping American homes who needs to grow. American homes is building, I think about 1,500 homes a year for their own account, brand new homes, plus buying off the MLS. And same with Tricon. So I think there's an investor frenzy, if you will. Everybody's got what they call, quote unquote, their buy box, their locations and price ranges. And as soon as one of those homes hits the market, there's three or four bids on it. That could disappear. It did in 2007. So that's why I want to pay attention to this. Then let's talk about the, the rentals in America. So there's almost 46 million people who rent something. 14.79 of them are in a large garden apartment complex or a high rise. So that's less than a third. Another 10 million are in a small rental building, like three to nine units. Another 3 million in duplexes. Another 13 million in old homes. And another 3 million in condos. So you, you probably hear people quote 13 million or 16 million or 19 million. It depends whether they're including condos or duplexes in their definition, if you will. But why are we building 400,000 new homes a year just for this segment up here that is garden apartment complexes? And we've been building nothing for the rest forever. So th this is the real opportunity where we're seeing a lot of money come in and say, okay, if these guys can manage thousands of units all over Atlanta, if I put 200 units right next to each other, I'm confident they can manage that and do a great job. And there's so much real estate capital out there right now that's the only safe place to go. You're not going into apartments. You're not going into hotels. You're not going into office. You're not going into retail until those things really become distressed. Then maybe we'll see some capital pivot there. So I don't skip over that. 
where are the greatest names of the apartment world in all of this? So, so these are the biggest apartment companies out there and they have not been participating in this at all. But I think this is going to change. We're talking to quite a few of them. They're not gonna be building another garden apartment complex when they're giving away two months of free rent and the one they just opened. They're pivoting over to what I think is gonna be a brand new asset class where we have more than 100,000 brand new single family rental homes built every year. The data right now says that we're at about 55,000. And the big home builders know how to build these homes more efficiently than apartment developers and, and get the cost down. So you're seeing DR Horton, Lennar, Toll, Taylor Morris, and LGI, the new home company, all play in this space in one way or another. Some are building subdivisions and selling them. Others are, most of them actually are selling three homes here, four homes there to people. Some of them are now in partnership with some of these companies to just basically fee build the home for them since they know how to build. So here's what we're seeing nationally. So in four years, the rent has gone from 1400 bucks to 1753. That's a pretty substantial spike. The net operating margins have gone from the high 50s all the way up to 64%. These companies are becoming very efficient and Percent now is a lot to add, but they're adding a tenth of a point or 20 basis points all the time, getting more efficient on expenses and growing revenue. And then rent growth on new leases is six and a half and on renewals is three. So again, that's the disparity I, I was talking about. I think one of the more interesting opportunities on acquisitions here, if, if you're looking at acquiring uh, a property that's leased, whether or not the uh, current tenant is fully at market and whether or not you can take them to fully at market once you uh, purchase them. And the turnover has, people are locked down in their house in COVID right now. It's down to a 29% turnover rate, which is just uh, extremely low, 97%. So getting to what's going on around the, the country, this has not been an equal recession as we talked about earlier with the K recovery, but this has also hit various markets very differently. So some of the markets that were already growing like gangbusters are the ones that uh, have had less job losses this cycle too, because people are moving to these places. Austin, Salt Lake, Dallas, Phoenix, they've got 2% fewer jobs than they did uh, a year ago, but the country has seven and places like New York and Las Vegas have 12% less. So you, you gotta pick your geography very wisely. And then if you're targeted to do something new or class A or B plus, you're focused on high income tenants. Austin actually has 4% more high income jobs than it did a year ago. Dallas is higher. And that was before Tesla and Oracle and all these other companies announced that they're leaving California officially and moving to Austin. So Austin is just absolutely on fire with people that make big bucks. So what we're seeing on the, if I transition over to the home price side of things, the number of homes in escrow pending sales is up 41% year over year. It's up in every major market in the country, even Houston, where oil prices, I thought Houston was going to get killed. We've got three people in Houston. They've been busy all year long. And one of the things you mentioned, the U-Haul analysis, we price out renting a U-Haul truck from one city to, to the other. And if it's the exact same price to take it to one city, as to take it back, there's an equal number of people leaving and, and coming and going. But even during all this, where you think Houston would be in a big oil-related recession, people are still moving to Houston because it's cheap and I can work from home. 
uh, I can work from anywhere is a better way of saying it. This is some data we got from a company that analyzes mortgage data. And you think of investors as paying all cash, but we're now, so I, I talked about how hot Austin is with real people moving in. 15% of all the houses sold in Austin with a mortgage are going to investors right now, including some second homes. So this is a big part of the market and it cycles pretty darn hard. Very interestingly to me, the, the investor percentages have been similar over the years, but who the investors are changes dramatically. And that's why I want to stay close to your listeners. Supply, with that high demand, supply is extremely low. We're down to 285,000 homes for sale in the entire country. That's next to nothing. And it's down in every market except the two where the media is located and, and they're pounding on San Francisco and New York. So yes, yeah, San Francisco and New York housing markets are not the same as the rest of the country. They've seen more flight there and it's more expensive and all the fun things to do have been shut down. That's, that's why they're struggling. The months of supply has gotten really low. And so what happens when that happens is prices go through the roof. So we're seeing even some of the markets that weren't doing very well, like the Chicago's of the world, our prices are up 7% per year. I do think that is driven by the Fed with the low mortgage rates. Then you go to some of the boom markets like Nashville and Portland up nine to 10%. Uh, but Phoenix home prices are up 15%. And that's very interesting, I think, for investors. Phoenix is one of the hottest rental investment markets in the country, but home prices are up 15% and rents are not up 15%. And, and so the yields have got to be falling there. And now we got some markets where homes are 20% of the homes almost, one in five in Seattle and Portland are selling within two weeks. And this has been such a big change from the old days when you had to go get a broker and, and you wouldn't even get your open house done in, in two weeks. Technology is really accelerating the industry here. This is probably too much detail, but I want I wanted to point out there's been a big shift in price and, and activity in the high end lately. The a lot of the homes under $200,000 have now appreciated, and that used to be 50% of the market. It's only 25% of the market. But this year, really starting around June, a little bit in May, but more in June, you started to see people sell their home and buy a bigger, nicer home. We're seeing a, a significant increase in activity above $550,000. And this is, that goes in with the, the K-shape recovery. It's either the haves and the have-nots. I know here in Hawaii, the condo sales are staying where they're at. Those are, you could say they're the have-nots at the bottom half. And then the million-dollar homes, multi-million-dollar homes here in Hawaii, it's a lot of people coming in, moving in, trying to get away from the big cities, or yeah. they just have money to spend on this stuff. It's the great shift, right? It's another great shift. Yeah, I, I think they're talking about the high-rise condos, I assume. There's, that's not something people are seeking during COVID, but I think that's going to change. Yeah. And then just uh, wrapping it up today. So we, we did, I'm showing a graphic here, of a video we did 12 years ago. But it smells a lot to me like we had a little mini recession here, just like we did in in when NASDAQ crashed in 2000, and then there was 9-11 in 2001. But we've got all this Fed stimulus, just like we did back then. In, on the housing industry, which was in phenomenal shape going into this recession, and I just, I think we're in the midst of a boom. How long it goes, I don't know. But I, I do advise all of my clients, keep your eyes wide open as we go through this, because you can make a lot of money 
the last thing you want to do is give it all back. So managing your balance sheet and being careful and diversifying and all those things, I, I'm sure that's what you advise people to do it is the right way to play this. And, and watch your debt levels as well. So there's two charts here that really compare and contrast what I'm talking about. So there's the home price to income ratio. We call it the home value to income ratio, which is actually creep. It's up at 2004 levels already. It's if you just looked at prices in relation to income, which is what investors are paying, you'd say this is absolutely insane. And we think it's going to get more insane. That's how the tea leaves are, how we're reading them right now. But with payments so damn low, I'm not getting a lot of color from our clients that sell homes that they're having a tough time getting people to qualify. In fact, they're getting three and a half offers on every house. So you'd say, hey, this is sustainable. But the important thing to point out here is it's sustainable because rates are so damn low. And we think rates are going to be low for a long time, but someday if they're not or when they're not, that will be a challenge. They've been low in Japan now for 20 plus years. So it's impossible to say this is going to change anytime soon. So just wrapping this up, the, the payment matters more to the consumer, but the price matters more to the investor. So just pay close attention to that. I think I hit all these other things in here. So let me just get to why we're so bullish on the short term. Uh, resale homes are now sitting on the market for 21 days. That's it. 71% of homes are selling in less than a month compared to 49% a year ago. And we were talking about how ridiculously quick that was a year ago. Builders are selling far more homes than faster than they can build. DR Horton, which builds 50,000 homes per year, sold 81% more homes last quarter than they did a year ago. And a year ago was a good quarter. So they're just struggling trying to get these things built, which by the way, is great for the economy that all that construction is going on. And uh, there's a shortage of lots for the home builders to build on because all of the demand and job growth was in the urban areas this cycle and all the land is really far away and people hate to commute. And so there wasn't a lot of demand far away, but I do think this work from home shift has uh, changed that permanently. And we have some survey data on that if you, if you wanna get into it. I mentioned the bidding wars. Bob Schiller won a Nobel prize and I'll just, won it for a lot of things. But one of the main things he did was looking at investor sentiment and how that can drive prices too high. So that's why I want to get an appetite on sentiment. And one of our signs of a housing bubble is, hey, when my cab driver, or I guess now it's an Uber driver, or the lady who's cutting my hair is flipping homes, or we're back at an all-time high number of realtors, which by the way, we are, that's that can be a sign that things are getting too frothy. So just keep keep those factors in mind. So I'm assuming continued economic growth, continued low mortgage rates, an increase in foreclosures, but pretty modest thanks to government controlling the process this time. And uh, this may not happen, but a reduction in home price euphoria, it actually could go the other way. So I'm being a little bit conservative here, but if that happens, we think rents are gonna grow three to 4% a year, but home prices could grow 8% next year and then six and then five. If I don't see that reduction in home price euphoria, I think we could see a couple years in a row of an eight or higher. We just are, we're coming off an 11. That would create a housing bubble that you want to be prepared for with your debt structures. And uh, if anybody wants to see the slides, just send me an email to jburns at realestateconsulting.com. Or if you sent that email to Devin Bachman too, she, she can share the slides with me as well. Yeah, and if you guys want to help help us out and do this survey for us, 
don't have this, shoot me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. I can connect you with the folks and get you set up with that. I think if you guys do the survey, you guys give them the survey results, right? After the yep. data is all compiled. So that's, if you guys want to see this for yourself, uh, that's the way of getting that data on your own. But if you go back to the last slide, John, the way I'm reading this, you're calling, there was a big stimulus, what, five to 10 trillion. Who knows, there might even be another stimulus early next year, but you're seeing this push through in the next two or three years, like the, the benefits or? I'm seeing it push through now. And there's this year, there's probably been an overemphasis on where you live because you're, there's more people in the house all day long. I do think some of that will cool next year. People are going to take vacations instead of remodel their house. But I see a sea change now to people who wanted to become homeowners someday, becoming homeowners, settling down, being far less worried about mobility issues because hey, I'm a great computer programmer, and even if I switch jobs, I don't have to move. There's a really good chance here that we're going to see home ownership skyrocket because of technology. Yeah, and I've always been a big fan of these uh, presentations you guys put together. And uh, I think the reason why is you guys get right down to the weeds level where we are. Simple passive cash flow nation is not mainstream by any stretch of the imagination. And I think it's, that's a great place to get some data from. Like you said, when the text, when the Uber car driver is flipping houses or buying turnkey rentals, that's when we really have to all worry. That ain't happening yet. Um, one thing that I, I did want to mention when I was at CG, one trend that is coming up, and I think you had it in a few of your slides, but you didn't really mention it. A lot of, there's turnkey buyers that buy rehab properties that are a few decades old, but you're starting to see a lot more of the build to sell to landlords, new builds, because people want newer properties, more workforce housing types, but they want new stuff. So you're having a lot of these home builders or smaller guys like in CG build these brand new rental properties, turnkey rental properties. Which, which at a local level can create an oversupply issue. So there are parts of Phoenix where we're starting to get concerned about that. So it is something to look at for the first time. Yeah, let me ask you a question. I'm sure your listeners would be interested in this too. What is your sense of the number of people that are interested in, in passive investing like this? How much is it up versus a year ago? Like in March and April, we were doing, we were actually buying the Rockefeller building in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was like, oh crap. Like that was when the world was going upside down and investor segment kind of got cut in half. Normally we can bring in like $10 million and that just got cut in half. Just from a pure numbers perspective, people were afraid. I didn't know what to expect. It's a multifamily residential. It's just, I don't know if it really matters what it was. It's just, I think it was just general uncertainty, but it's been slowly on the rise coming back. I feel like the, I thought it was the election was going to be a big part of this getting back to normal, but I don't think it was, I think it was just a distraction, anything, but I think people are, it's presentations like yours that really shines a light that, yeah, this is big government stimulus. The wave is coming these next few years, you better get on it or you're going to be missing out on the, one of the best bull runs ever. I, I didn't know how much stimulus money was coming through the pipeline now that I thought it was less than the 2008, 2009 stimulus times. No, it was more. It, it's, it, well, it's already out there. And actually, I should mention too, a lot of the stimulus last time was on bank balance sheets and just sat there. 
Now it's on business owner balance sheets and consumer balance sheets. And so it could be spent pretty quickly. And that's the fear of some people is that if there's some big resurgence in spending here and everybody's competing for stuff, we could see a lot of inflation. We're seeing a lot of inflation in home price, just not in everything else. I'm more of a moderate. I, I don't really get too excited. This is very exciting data that you're showing. I try not to get too excited about these types of things and just stay in my range of the Wolfie cash flows. We have the good debt service coverage ratio. Well, how bad can it be? But I think what confuses a lot of investors, there's a lot of perma bears, right? Like your Peter Schiff's, your guys are always saying that the world's going to collapse every other month and it doesn't. Yeah. But and I don't think anybody listens to them. I'm far more interested in how many perma bulls out there particularly under the age of 32 that can't afford to buy a home where they currently live, but are buying homes sight unseen in Memphis. So th that's what makes me nervous. And so you're telling me you're not seeing a huge boom in that. I've been speaking to the number of events. I'm smelling one. It's, it seems to me like, hey, I'm not going to the stock market. I'm not going to the bond market. That all feels really frothy. The housing market, that's what I want to do. And yeah, I think I... My, I'm speaking on behalf of my investor club, which I feel like are still, we're not huge family office. We're not institutional money. I like to think we're sophisticated mom and pa money. We're not buying some random crappy turnkey rental that's overpriced. Like we're a little bit better than that. Oh, you're way um, better than that. But I, I would be very interested in learning if you're starting to lose out to some of those non-professionals who are overpaying for things. Because I think definitely like the guys that have joined in my group maybe a few years ago, they're starting to realize, yeah, I can't be buying turnkey rentals anymore. Or I can't be using all the same techniques, the these lease option things I used to because yeah, now the new guy is eating my shorts on that. I'm like, yeah, wake up, you're 30 years old. There's another 22-year-old kid doing the same thing or somebody who started up a few years ago is doing this, you know, what you're doing probably better. Or, or willing to take more risk. I think I see a lot of kids, they, they're doing that burst strategy where they're right. throwing over 30, 50 grand wiring cash at them and see the property. It works in theory, but I'm not a big fan of that stuff, especially for high net worth investors. It's not worth the risk. That's what happened last time when they started borrowing a lot of money to do those things. And so I, I do not think that's going on right now, but that's why we want to do this survey because if it does start going on, I want to identify. There's a couple of companies, Roofstock and another one I just talked to where you can now buy part of a home online. In fact, the one I talked to yesterday, you can start at a hundred bucks. So you, they've, they've, they've just got started. They've sold six homes this way. I don't know how many people have been involved, but I bought pieces of these houses. And it's, des it's designed for people to build an ETF in housing. I'll take 5% of that home in Vegas and 10% of that home in Houston. Wait till somebody starts loaning them the money to do that. And I don't think it's a huge issue right now, but I'm starting to see it coming. And I think they're lowering that barrier to entry to investors, which I think is a great thing. I'm all for people getting out of the stock market and that retail investments. But when you, when you lower the barrier to entry too much to that, these bastardized, the get anybody can get in and anybody can run up and buy a hundred bucks here. It's like what? the Robin Hood thing. No, it's Robin Hood for housing. And what happens to home prices when that happens? They go right to the roof. Same thing that happened to the stock market. They either get in now or get a little more sophisticated and do something else that the normal guys don't do. I mean, one premise I always do is do things that the average guy can't do. They can't compete in. I always try to stay a half step of the game, but cool, John. Yeah. 
Again, help me out, guys. I want to have John back on here. So let's try and help him out on those the surveys. Doesn't take too much time. Jay Burns at realestateconsulting.com. Or uh, just shoot me an email. I'll connect you guys with the right folks. And uh, appreciate it, John. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.